Let's 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 begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask your blessing on our efforts uh, this 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 morning. <laughs> Forgot what where I am. Uh, give us the strength and the grace to open our minds and our hearts to what you have to say to us through Holy Scripture. Help us to really understand the meaning of these simple stories that we are studying in the book of the prophet Daniel. They have a, a great deal of meaning for the people at the time, and in many ways they have a great deal of meaning for us today. So we should always look for how that affects us, what it means to us today, and how can we love our Lord more by what we've learned. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things, in Jesus' name. Today we're going to, we did talk pretty much about uh, the um, chapter 2. So today we're going to spend our, our time on chapter 3, which is the longest of the six, first six chapters. Partly because of uh, some long prayers that were added. And I want to talk about those more or less after the, the basic part of the story. Because the prayers have sort of a unique history of their own. And uh, what we want to do is, is uh, to dwell on those uh, in, in a separate way uh, later. All right? Any questions before we begin? Now, as we've mentioned several times here, each of these stories, in the first six chapters, that is, um, are independent stories of their own, which gives us uh, the possibility that they were probably written uh, before as independent tales, or uh, fables, you might say. As we've said before, and it's important to keep in mind that in the culture of the second century and beyond that, uh, going back further, stories were very important to these people. It was a form of entertainment. It was a form of, of uh, communication. Um, and it was a form of education. So, tales uh, were used for many different purposes. In this particular case, because of the uh, animosity and the struggle between the Greek conquerors of Palestine, or the Holy Land, whatever, uh, and the Jewish people themselves, because the cultures were so different, and the fact that Antiochus the, the Fourth. Uh, was trying to force Hellenism upon all of the Jewish people. It set up a real clash, which eventually developed into the uh, Maccabean Wars of the uh, middle uh, second century B.C. Now, I want to read to you a little bit out of the second book, or is it the first book? first book of Maccabees, because it sets up the scene that we will be talking about here 
and um, there. Now, this is not very long, but if you want to follow along in your own Bibles, it's First uh, Maccabees chapter one. First Maccabees chapter one, beginning at verse forty-one. All right. Now, this is a real incident. This is history. First and Second Maccabees are really historical books. So we're talking about reality here, not fable as in uh, Daniel. All right. It says, then the king wrote to his whole kingdom. And this king, of course, they're referring to Antiochus IV, wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people. In other words, everybody toe the mark according to what he dictated. Each abandoning his particular customs, and of course that includes religion, all the Gentiles conformed to the command of the king, and many Israelites were in favor of his religion. They sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. Many, but not all. All right? That was rather, it should be the other way around. A few of the Israelites conformed. Because whenever there is any change, particularly if there is some appealing aspects to the change, you'll have some some people will say, well, gee, that's a good thing. Let's uh, not worry about the old rules and regulations. This lets us off the hook, and we can do a lot of things that we couldn't do uh, under Judaism. But our heroes here in uh, Daniel uh, oppose that. And, of course, most of the Jewish people, particularly around Jerusalem and in that province of Judah, opposed this as well. The king sent messengers and letters to Jerusalem and to the cities of Judah, ordering them to follow customs foreign to their land, to prohibit holocausts, sacrifices, and libations in the sanctuary, to profane the Sabbath and feast days, to desecrate the sanctuary and the sacred ministers, to build up pagan altars and temples and shrines, to sacrifice swine and unclean animals in the temple, too. Uh, to leave their sons uncircumcised and let themselves be defiled with every kind of impurity and abomination. Uh, this is what is being forced upon the Jewish people. So that they might forget the law and change all of their observances. Whoever refused to act according to the command of the king should be put to death. Such were the orders he published throughout the kingdom. <laughs> He appointed inspectors all over the people and he ordered the cities of Judah to offer sacrifices each city in turn. Many of, excuse, many of the people who abandoned the law, many of the people, those who abandoned the law, joined them and committed evil in the land. Israel was driven into hiding wherever places of refuge could be found. That doesn't sound right. Israel was driven into, well, I guess this is in general, but that's what it says. 
Israel was driven into hiding wherever places of refuge could be found. On the 15th day of the month of Chislev, in the year 145, that would be B.C., uh, the king erected the horrible abomination upon the altar of Holocaust. And this is an image, a statue in, in some way. Um, and it, uh, let's see, I lost my place. On the 15th day of the month of Chislev, in the year 145, the king erected the horrible abomination upon the altar of Holocaust. And in the surrounding cities of Judah, they built pagan altars. They also burnt incense at the doors of houses and in the streets. Any scrolls of law which they found, they were torn up and burned. Whoever was found with a scroll or the covenant, and whoever observed the law was condemned to death by royal decree. So they used their power against Israel, against those who were caught each month in the cities. On the 25th day of each month, they sacrificed on the altar erected over the altar of Holocaust. Women who had their children circumcised were put to death in keeping with the decree, with the babies hung from their necks. Their families also and those who had circumcised them were killed. But in Israel... Many were determined and resolved in their hearts not to eat anything unclean. They preferred to die rather than to defile, to defile uh, themselves with unclean food or to profane the Holy Covenant. And they did die. Terrible affliction was upon Israel. So you see the stories in the, in the book of Daniel now have some form of reality. But then, as we've said before, why then uh, does the writer use um, the scene from the 6th century B.C. and King Nebuchadnezzar blames everything on him? And that is to disguise, in some ways, what he is really writing. Okay, um, let's turn to this chapter 3 on page 109. King Nebuchadnezzar had a golden statue made, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. Now, you all know what a cubit is, right? You have them on your homes and so forth. It's an ancient um, uh, unit of measure, and the way it is measured is from the elbow to the tip of the hands, okay, which traditionally, on an average, for an average adult man, that would be 18 inches. Right? If, you know, if you get a little guy or a huge guy to be a little bit different, but on an average it would be 18 inches. You multiply that by 60 and that's 90 feet. I know the author of this book says 8.75. Well, uh, I'm not going to worry about a quarter of an inch here. Um, 
but that's pretty good size. 90 feet, all right, and of course, it would be nine feet wide. That would be a, a rather chubby uh, statue, I would think. Okay, certainly not in, in proportions to human stature. All right. The satraps, prefects, governors, the uh, counselors, treasurers, judges, and magicians, and all the officials of the province, all of these came together for the dedication and stood before the statue which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald cried out, Nations and peoples of every language, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, flute, lyre, harp, psaltery, bagpipe, and all the other musical instruments, you are ordered to fall down and worship the golden statue which King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be instantly cast into the white-hot furnace. And therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the trumpet, flute, harp, psalter, bagpipe, and all the other instruments, the nations and the peoples of every language all fell down and worshipped the golden statue which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So you can see this is the same kind of thing that we just read in Maccabees. All right. And so what the author is doing is he's using or he's blaming this on something that happened 400 years before. Okay. Simply to get away from the um, censors, you might say, who might then attribute this to the present king, Antiochus IV, and this guy would be put to death, no doubt. At that point, some of the Chaldeans came. The Chaldeans now, in this case, because we learned from previous chapters, were pretty much the astrologers or those people who were supposed to know the, uh, the future. Okay, Came and accused the Jews uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar. O king, live forever. O king, you issued a decree that everyone who heard the sound of the trumpet, flute, etc., fall down and worship the golden statue. Whoever did not was to cast into a white-hot furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have made administrators of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Uh, These men, O king, have paid no attention to you. They will not serve your God or worship the golden statue which you set up. Uh, It's interesting that these were the same guys that Daniel saved from death in a previous chapter. But then again, as I've said before, these chapters are very independent of each other, which gives us an idea or, or presumably that they were published separately and not as a book originally. Okay, They were separate tales that were written and sort of disseminated on a separate basis so that perhaps one author or one group of people who uh, used or told the tale would not have known about uh, what went before. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and sent for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
who were promptly brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar questioned them. Is it true that you will not serve my God or worship the golden statue that I set up? Be ready now to fall down and worship the statue that I made. Whenever you hear the sound of the musical instruments, I'm just skipping some of these words. Uh, for, <laughs> you know, at the same time and all of that. <laughs> and my voice, which seems to be going. All right. Um, you shall be instantly cast into the white hot furnace. And who is the God that can deliver you out of my hands? Uh, there is no need for us to defy our, to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, can save us from the white hot furnace and from your hands, O King, may He save us. But even if He will not, O King, that we will um, not serve your God or worship the golden statue which you set up. Now, this is based on another portion of um, Scripture. You go to Isaiah 36. Uh, this, Isaiah 36 is a chapter of history that predates this as well as the Babylonian captivity. But it has a saying that these people and this story is also based on. And it refers to Another king, um, Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria back in the 8th century B.C. And here you have some people being forced to do something again against their will. And it says, The king or, or his representatives are saying to the people of Israel, do not listen to Hezekiah, who was sort of a puppet. Uh, well, he was a king over the Israels, and he was trying to get them to be faithful to God. But it, it didn't work, unfortunately. It says, do not listen to Hezekiah, for the king of Assyria says, make peace with me and surrender. And then each of you will eat of your own vine and his own uh, fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come to take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and wine, of bread and vineyards. Do not let Hezekiah seduce you by saying, the Lord will save us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever rescued this land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Were all the gods of Hamath and Arpad, uh, these are pagan gods, uh, were all the gods of, uh, I can't pronounce that word, were on the go- or the gods of Samaria, 
Have they saved Samaria from my hand? Which of all the gods of these lands ever rescued his land from my hand? And will the Lord of Israel save Jerusalem from my hand? But they remained silent and did not answer him. One word, for the king had ordered them not to answer him. Okay. All right. So, the point I'm making here is that when these three men refuse, they're keeping in mind previous scriptures that they were aware of. All right. Because any of the people at this time who were educated knew the Jewish scriptures practically by heart, as we would say, or from memory, because they didn't have much else to learn. There weren't a lot of books. There weren't, you know, iPods and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so material to be learned, and these people were very eager to learn, the only thing that they really had to learn and it went in line with their um, faith was the scriptures. So they were very much familiar with this. It says, there is no record for us to defend ourselves. Before, there is no need for us to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, can save us from the white-hot furnace, and from your hands, O king, may he save us. But even if he will not, O king, uh, that we might not serve your God or worship the golden statue which you set up. See, here's an important point that you may have not realized. These three men are not saying that God will do this. He's really sort of leaving it up to God. And if he won't, that's all right. We're still going to remain faithful to him. And you'll find that in many cases, the saints uh, of more modern days uh, still suffered martyrdom, even though they were faithful to uh, our God. All right. They went through the trial and were executed. Knowing that faith was far more important than earthly salvation. Spiritual salvation was far, far more important than earthly salvation. You have two good examples uh, in World War II. if you know, do you know the story behind uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe? Alright. Here's a priest that took the place of another prisoner who was going to be executed by freezing to death, uh, simply in retaliation for something that some of the other, uh, Jewish prisoners did. And Maximilian Kolbe, uh, because he had pity on this particular uh, prisoner who had a large family and so forth um, took his place and he and uh, a small group of men were told to strip and stand out in the uh, sub-zero weather and they starved and were frozen to death 
the other one is St. Edith Stein, uh, a Jewish lady who converted to Catholicism and became a nun, and she was also executed, even though she was a Catholic, uh, she was still Jewish, and that was against uh, the German Nazis at the time. And so they took her from uh, the convent and executed her. Uh, we have another one, a Jewish theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because he would not uh, accommodate the Jewish, I mean the Nazis, at the end of the war, was executed just months before uh, the end of the war. And simply because you would not cooperate with them. Uh, so you have real life examples. Very much doing the same type of thing that is mentioned here. Nebuchadnezzar's face grew livid with the utter rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, David is not mentioned in this chapter at all. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than usual. And some of the strongest men in his army bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the white-hot furnace. They were bound and cast into the white-hot furnace with their coats, hats, shoes, and other garments. For the king's order was urgent. So huge a fire was kindled in the furnace that the flames devoured the men who threw uh, these three guys, let's put it that way, into it. Okay? Now keep that in mind. The men that threw them in were devoured by the flames. Okay? But these three fell bound into the midst of the white hot furnace. They walked about in the furnace, singing to God and uh, blessing the Lord. In the fire, Azariah stood up and prayed aloud. And this is a rather a long prayer, but it is interesting, it is beautiful, and it is used today even in Jewish and in some Catholic liturgies. Okay. Blessed are you and praiseworthy, O Lord, the God of our fathers, and glorious forever is your name. For you are just in all you have done. All your deeds are faultless and all your ways right, and all your judgments proper. You have executed proper judgments in all that you have brought upon us and upon Jerusalem, the holy city of our fathers. By a proper judgment you have done this because of our sins. For we have sinned and transgressed by departing from you, and we have done every kind of evil. Your commandments we have not heeded or observed, nor have we done as you ordered us for our own good. And therefore, all you have brought upon us, all you have done to us, all you have done by a proper judgment, you have handed us over to our enemies, lawless and hateful rebels, to an unjust king, and worst of all, the world. Now, what I want to do is stop here for a moment. This was written sometime long after the rest of the story was written. All right? And it is a meditation on the real events that precipitated the Babylonian exile back in the 6th century. The time between King David 
in the 10th or 10th or 11th or 10th or 9th century BC and the 6th century was a time of degradation by the people, by the leaders, you might say, not the, the temple, but the kings, so to speak, of Judaism. Alright? Beginning with the end of Solomon's reign and his son and all the way down for nearly 500 years, the people left Judaism, ignored the teachings of Moses, and really did a lot of bad things. Let's put it that way. Okay? It, and that caused the um, Syrian conquest of northern Israel and the Babylonian conquest of southern Israel. And the northern people were carted off to Assyria. The southern people were taken as prisoners uh, to Babylon. It wasn't until they got into Babylon and through the efforts of the prophet Ezekiel, okay, Ezekiel up here, that they began to realize why they were taken off to Babylon. At first they lamented, why, Lord, did you do this to us? Why did you let the Babylonians captivate us and, and take us uh, away from our homes, etc., etc.? They didn't really stop to think that they brought it upon themselves. Even though God had sent several of the prophets to warn them and to get them to turn around and go back to allegiance and the law of Moses. But finally, while they were in Babylon, they finally got the message. They finally got religion, as we would say today. All right. And they adopted the book of Deuteronomy that we, or the book that we call Deuteronomy today. And that became their law. They kind of ignored most of the others, except for some of the rituals. And they really straightened out. And so from the return of the exiles from Babylon in 539 B.C. to the time of Christ, a new form of Judaism really took hold based on the book of Deuteronomy. The unfortunate part about it was they went from one extreme prior to Babylon to the opposite extreme after Babylon and from the end of the 6th century B.C. down to the time of Christ they worshipped the law word for word rather than worshipping the God of the law. And it got so out of hand that that is really, in essence, why Christ was crucified by these people, because they didn't want a Messiah that was just, you know, an itinerant preacher. They wanted somebody who was great and glorious like David uh, during the golden age of Judaism uh, to come along and rout the Romans and get them back into being a great nation. That, of course, is not what God had in mind. All right. So, 
this particular prayer here is really a meditation on the events that got them into Babylon in the first place. All right. It says, uh, I'm going to go back just a little bit to 29. For we have sinned and transgressed by departing from you, and we have done every kind of evil, and they sure did. Your commandments we have not heeded or observed, nor have we done as you order for our own good, and therefore... All you have brought upon us, all you have done to us, you have done by a proper judgment. You have handed us over to our enemies, lawless and hateful rebels, the Babylonians, and to an unjust king, this is truly Nebuchadnezzar, the worst of all the world. Now we cannot open our mouths. We, your servants who revere you, have become a shame and a reproach for your namesake. Do not deliver us up forever, or make void your covenants that are finally getting the message. Do not take away from your mercy. Your, do not take away your mercy from us, for the sake of Abraham, your beloved, Isaac, your servant, and Israel, your holy one, to whom you promised to multiply their offspring like the stars of heaven or the sand of the shore of the sea. For we are reduced, O Lord, beyond any other nation. And that's true. They were. They were now indentured servants at the hands of Babylon. And Jerusalem and the temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. For we are reduced, O Lord, beyond any other nation. Brought low everywhere in the world this day because of our sins. We have in our day no prince or prophet or leader. No holocaust, sacrifice, oblation, or incense. No place to offer first fruits to find favor with you. But now, with a contrite heart and a humble spirit, let us be received. They have gotten the word, the message. As though it were holocausts of rams and bullocks, or thousands of fat rams. So, let our sacrifice be in your presence today as we follow you unreservedly. For those who trust in you cannot be put to shame. And now we follow you with our whole heart. We fear you and we pray to you. Do not let us be put to shame, but deal with us in your kindness and great mercy. Deliver us up by your wonders and bring glory to your name, O Lord. Let all those be routed who inflict evil on your servants, and let them be shamed and powerless, and their strength broken. Let them know that you alone are the Lord, glorious over the whole world. Yes? Um, maybe I missed it. It says, they walked about in the plain, came to God and blessed the Lord, in the fire, as Azariah? Mm-hmm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And where are you? Oh, and there. Oh, that was that. Azariah was their Hebrew name. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. All right. Now this pro this uh, long passage here is really a prayer that, as I said, is used both in uh, Jewish uh, liturgies and and I was going to bring my Liturgy of the Hours. If any of you read the Liturgy of the Hours, 
this particular uh, prayer is read once uh, each month. Okay. I forgot just what week it's in, but nevertheless, it's... Uh, but it is a meditation on the people in Babylon. It was added to the book of Daniel afterwards. All right. Now, let's go on. We get sort of back to the story here. Now the king's men, who had thrown them into, uh, thrown it in, continued to stoke the furnace with brimstone, pitch, uh, tow, I think it should be tar, uh, and faggots. The flames rose 49 cubits above the, how much is 49 cubits? <laughs> All right. And spread out, burning the Chaldeans nearby. But weren't they consumed beforehand? Hmm. Yeah. But the angel of the Lord. Now here's something that, that uh, you should sort of keep in mind. Whenever scripture of the Old Testament talks about the angel of the Lord, it is thought to be God himself. When there is no angel of the Lord phrase all in one, then that would be an angel. For example, in the book of Tobit, you have an angel. Uh, and in many other places, angels are mentioned. That was a very um, popular form of describing how God got mess- messages to humans. All right. But in this case, and in other places, when you see the angel of the Lord, that means it's God himself. For example, in the book of uh, Genesis, uh, you've all heard the story how uh, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night long. All right, that again. And wrestled in this case doesn't necessarily mean physical wrestling. It uh, could mean. Uh, there's a lot of debate on this. It could mean uh, a mental wrestling. Um, we, we've all said, gee, I wrestled with that problem all day long. You know, you're not talking about a physical wrestling with somebody else, uh, but a, a mental issue. All right. So angel of the Lord in this case means God himself. <clears throat> Went down into the furnace with Azariah and his companions. Uh, again, Azariah is the Hebrew name of uh, one of these three fellows. And drove fiery flames out of the furnace and made the inside of the furnace, furnace as though the dew-laden breeze were blowing through it. Oh, a nice soft uh, spring rain or something. The fire in no way touched them or caused them pain or harm. And then these three in the furnace had one... Vo- with one voice saying, glorifying and praising God. Now, here's another one, and I want to talk about this when we get through. But what I'd like to do is I will say the first part, and I would like you to say the second part, all right? I will say, for example, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our fathers. And then you answer, praiseworthy and exalted above all forever, all right? It, it makes it a little easier for both of us. I save my voice. 
And blessed is your holy and glorious name. Very good. Blessed are you in the temple of your holy glory. Blessed are you on the throne of your kingdom. Blessed are you who look into the depths from your throne upon the cherubim. Blessed are you in the firmament of heaven. Bless the Lord, all you works of the Lord. Angels of the Lord, bless the Lord. You heavens, bless the Lord. All you waters above the heavens, bless the Lord. All you hosts of the Lord, bless the Lord. Sun and moon, bless the Lord. Stars of heaven, bless the Lord. Every shower and dew, bless the Lord. All you winds, bless the Lord. Fire and heat, bless the Lord. Cold and chill, bless the Lord. Dew and rain, bless the Lord. Frost and chill, bless the Lord. Ice and snow, bless the Lord. Nights and days, bless the Lord. Light and darkness, bless the Lord. Lightnings and clouds, bless the Lord. Let the earth bless the Lord. Mountains and hills, bless the Lord. Everything growing from the earth, bless the Lord. You springs, bless the Lord. Seas and rivers, bless the Lord. You dolphins and all water creatures, bless the Lord. All you birds of the air, bless the Lord. All you beasts, wild and tame, bless the Lord. You sons of men, bless the Lord. O Israel, bless the Lord. Priests of the Lord, bless the Lord. Servants of the Lord, bless the Lord. Spirits of the soul, spirits and souls of the just, bless the Lord. Holy men of humble heart, bless the Lord. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, bless the Lord. For he has delivered us from the netherworld and saved us from the power of death. He has freed us from the raging flame and delivered us from the fire. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. 
Bless the God of gods, all you who fear the Lord. Praise him and give him thanks because his mercy endures forever. Now, while reading this, either just now or at your home, have you noticed anything different in this whole prayer? Exactly. Creation. It is in order of God's creation, beginning with things in heaven or above the earth, let's put it that way. And then gradually, uh, if you go back to the six days of creation, you'll see that this is listed in the same order as creation, but it is also from, you might say, from top to bottom. In other words, from heaven through the skies, the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, the mountains, uh, then trees, and last, people and plants, animals, etc. Okay. So there's a whole spectrum of creation that you are praising God for here. I think if you go back and, and read it, and we won't do that right now, but uh, that's a little bit on the long side. But this also is a prayer that is used in the liturgy of the hours, and it is uh, reproduced in another way in Psalm 118. Okay. <clears throat> yes? Right, and the previous one that we had read a little earlier. Yes. 118. Psalm 118 is is a slightly different word, but it follows the same order. Okay. Hearing them sing, and astonished as seeing them alive, King Nebuchadnezzar arose in haste and asked his nobles, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? Assuredly, O king, they answered. But, he replied, I see four men, unfettered and unhurt, walking in the fire, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the opening of the white-hot furnace and called to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Servants of the Most High God, come out. And therefore they came out. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and nobles of the king came together, they saw that the fire had no power over the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads had been singed, nor were their garments altered. There was not even the smell of fire about them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel to deliver the servants that trusted in him. They disobeyed the loyal command and yielded their bodies rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Now, can you imagine this king uh, turning around completely that quickly? No. All right. Um, 
And therefore I decree for the nations and the peoples of every language that whoever blasphemes the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut to pieces and his house destroyed. For there is no other God who can rescue uh, like this. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> now, why would this writer have this guy turn around so quickly when we know that this did not happen? Anyone got a good answer? Or something they want to volunteer or guess? It is, it is wishful thinking. Alright? It is what he is hoping these people will see. Alright? Because the readers are not dumb. You know? They're not, they're saying, ah, this will never happen, but we'd like it to happen. Alright? This is what we're hoping for. And that is what this whole book is meant to do. Give these people hope. Yes, Carmen? Did Neb ever fully convert? Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. No. No. And he continued to worship idols in all That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he reigned only a short time in the same way as uh, Antiochus IV. Antiochus IV reigned only 12 years. Nebuchadnezzar was about the same. And he was, uh, well, he, he died in the battle, really. Uh, but nevertheless, there was his son, Abanidas, or Belshazzar. Uh, they went by different names. But eventually, Babylon was conquered by the king of, of Media, Persia and Media, uh, King Cyrus the Great. Okay. All right. uh, so there's a, a lot in here, but the whole intent of this book is really to give these people hope that this will be short-lived uh, Antiochus the fourth will be like many others, uh, will be out of the picture. But unfortunately, that didn't happen right away, and it caused a great deal of problem. The reality is shown in the first and second book of Maccabees. I want to read another story from Maccabees. Chapter 7 of the second book of Maccabees. I'm not going to read it all because you have heard it. In fact, it was actually uh, read in church during the week here a month or so ago. Now, again, Maccabees is history, true history. 
It also happened that seven brothers with their mother were arrested and tortured with whips and scourges by the king. This is the actual Antiochus IV again. To force them into uh, eating pork in violation of God's law. One of the brothers, speaking for the others, said, what do, you, what do you expect to achieve by questioning us? We are all ready to, we are all ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our ancestors. At that the king in fury gave orders to have pans and cauldrons heated. While they were being quickly heated, he commanded his executioners to cut out the tongue of the one who had spoken for the others, to scalp him and cut off his hands and feet while the rest of his brothers and his mother looked on. When he was completely maimed, but still breathing, the king ordered him to, uh, ordered them to carry him to the fire and fry him. As a cloud of smoke spread from the pans, and the brothers and their mother encouraged one another to die bravely, saying such words as these, The Lord God is looking on, and he truly has compassion on us. As Moses declared in his canticle, when he protested openly with the words, and he will have pity on his servants. But that doesn't necessarily mean God rescues us from all of these trials. All right. When the first brother had died in, the ma- in this manner, they brought the second, and he made sport of it. After tearing off the skin and the hair of his head, they asked him, Will you eat pork rather than have your body tortured limb by limb? Answering in the language of his forefathers, he said, never. And so, and this goes on and on. And of course, at the end, even the mother then is uh, put to death. Okay, uh, The mother convinces each one of her sons to hang in there and to remain faithful to the God of Israel. And there are a number of atrocities like this. Uh, Maccabees is very interesting uh, in that it was written in Greek and therefore not accepted by the Hebrew people, even though it was true Hebrew history. Um, The Hebrew Bible excluded uh, 1 and 2 Maccabees certain portions of Daniel, not all of it, but the two uh, prayers that we just read this morning and chapters 12 and 13, uh, those were excluded because they were written in Greek. And then at the time that all of the Hebrew uh, scriptures were translated into Greek, these were then added, and that became the Septuagint version. The word Septuagint is Greek for the word 70. It comes from the word 70 or 72. People argue both ways. Uh, but our book, our Bible, is the, Sept- the English version, a translation of the Septuagint. And that's why we have them. Now, for anyone that has uh, a Bible that Maccabees and Tobit and Ecclesiastes and a few others, there's six of them. I always forget which six, but nevertheless, if they're not in there, then you have a Protestant Bible. And the reason the Protestant Bibles do not have these six books plus these 
portions of Daniel is that when Martin Luther broke away from the Catholic Church in the 16th century, uh, causing the Protestant Reformation, he adopted the Hebrew Bible, um, or Hebrew Scriptures, I say, for the Old Testament, rather than uh, accept the Septuagint or the Catholic version. And that is why the uh, the Protestant Bibles uh, are short by those six books. Okay. Yes, ma'am. He wanted to get away from a lot of things that were literally Catholic. And that's what, yes, yes. And there's other things. That's why most Protestant churches do not have kneelers. He felt that we were not slaves, and it was only slaves who kneeled. Uh, There is no image on the cross because he felt that the resurrection was more important than the death of Jesus. And uh, for various reasons, you cannot separate the two. Uh, And that is why Catholics always have an image, or most always, have an image on the cross. Uh, He wanted to get away from a number of things that were obviously Catholic. And uh, that's all. So I, when people ask, you know, recommend a a new Bible, I first of all ask why. You know, of course, if you have one of these big coffee table things, you don't want to carry that around. But, uh, you know, if it's just because uh, you want it to be the same as the Catholic Bible, well, that's uh, sort of optional. I would never say go out and get one because all of the other books, particularly of the New Testament, whether Protestant or Catholic, are the same. So there's no big big difference except for that reason. And now most Protestant Bibles are including those six books. Uh, sometimes they'll put them in a separate section called Apocrypha. Apocrypha. Does that make sense? All right. Yes. Jehovah Witness has said that they've done some changes. Is that true? I'm not certain of that. No. Well, the question was uh, Jehovah Witnesses are probably coming closer. Certainly, uh, the Lutherans and the Catholics are getting much, much closer on many things. They have. Um, I was in the Lutheran Catholic Dialogue Program for many years, and they have come to pretty much agreement on everything with the exception of uh, the presence, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Okay. But almost everything else uh, they are beginning to accept. Uh, and of all of the other, of, of all the Protestant denominations, the Lutherans will probably join the Catholic Church um, more so than any other ones, or first, be the first ones. Uh, the Episcopalians or the Anglicans will probably be next, okay. if they ever get rid of their women priests. <laughs> yes, Jose? Yes. Well, Jose brings up an interesting point. In the midst of uh, that first prayer, 
that we read, it talks about now we have finally, uh, what's the wording there? Yeah, now we finally follow. Yes, uh, as I said before, when they first went to Babylon, they didn't really understand why God abandoned them. Because they had drifted so far off, and even though uh, God had sent 15 prophets over a period of time uh, to try to bring these people back, uh, they refused. So it wasn't until uh, northern Israel was totally destroyed, southern Israel was destroyed by the Babylons, and so was the temple. The temple was uh, very significant, and it was really the, the blow that uh, caused them to stop and think, okay? Because the temple represented God among them. They felt that God resided in the temple, not outside the temple, but in the temple, and it was an indication of God being their God. You know, they didn't want to share him with anyone else. He was their God, and he was, God was going to protect them from anything and everything. Well, God says, no way. You know, if you disobey me and continue after I've brought this to your attention and I've given you all of these uh, prophets to tell you where you're going wrong and you still continue, I'm not going to continue to help you. You see, the first covenant established way back uh, with Abraham and renewed down the line with all of the important people consisted of land, descendants, and protection. All right. It was a worldly or land-based or reality-based type of covenant that was necessary to bring these people together, beginning with Abraham, and develop uh, a new nation. And so for 2,000 years, God was their particular God, not to the exclusion of everyone else, but they thought so. All right, And he helped them. He guided them. He brought them uh, through the Babylonian captivity. He brought them through the Egyptian captivity and through many battles and so forth and so on. It wasn't till all the way down to the year 70 A.D. when he said, Enough is enough. And the whole place was destroyed, including the second temple. So God will not stand uh, forever. And that is why we have to kind of sit up and take notice. That's why the Babylonians uh, or the exiles in Babylon finally got the message and turned around. Unfortunately, they turned around too much. And instead of worshiping the God who gave them the law, they worshiped the law itself. And that is why they took the rules and the regulations developed originally uh, by Moses from the Ten Commandments, and then those were exploded into 613 uh, laws to the point where the people could hardly breathe. Uh, and that is the argument that Christ had with them about the Sabbath. You see, they couldn't walk or travel on 
the Sabbath any farther than from their home uh, to the temple or the synagogue. They could not travel beyond that. They could do no work whatsoever. That's why uh, his apostles were chastised by the Jewish people when they walked through the grain field and pulled off some kernels of wheat and ate them because they were hungry. And finally, God, uh, or Jesus himself, was chastised by the temple rulers when he healed on the Sabbath. You see, they got things way out of proportion. They weren't realistic, and they were worshiping laws rather than the God of the law. And Jesus himself said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, a person can work six days a week, but if he works seven days a week without rest, after a while he's no good to anybody. I remember that during uh, this Korean War when I worked uh, after getting out of the service for after seven years. Um, they had us working seven days a week for a while. And it became a real uh, drag. Sure, we made good money, but we didn't have time to spend it, so it wasn't really anything that we uh, appreciated. And that was, of course, only a short period of time. But I understand, and that is why I really understand and appreciate when Christ said, the Sabbath was made for man to rest and recognize what God has done for him. It is not the other way around. So it's important that we kind of learn uh, many things out of all of these teachings that God is infinite in his mercy, but he's not going to overlook everything for an indefinite period of time. Now, that, yes, Fiona? Yes. No. That is God himself. God himself, yeah. Fiona's question was in that paragraph right there at the turn of the page where it says uh, they saw one that looked like the Son of God. Now, many people interpret that as the Son of Son of Man. Alright? That comes in chapter 7. And there's a difference. Alright? In chapter 7 of the book of Daniel, the term the Son of Man is used. And when you get to that part, which won't be for a few weeks yet, uh, keep in mind that that is the phrase that Jesus uses to identify himself. He never calls himself the Son of God. But he refers or uses the phrase, uh, the Son of Man will do such and such. And the reason he's doing that is taken from the reason that is given in the book of Daniel. That's why this book is very important, even though it really gives us a lot of fables and um, apocalyptic uh, stories that are difficult to understand in our modern day. But Jesus uses that phrase to identify somebody 
who is greater than the angels. Greater than the angels. And of course, who could be greater than the angels except God himself? And that is what he wanted them to figure out. It is like his use of parables. Jesus uses parables quite often. And they <coughs> parables are a story, again, uh, with a unique point. Generally, one unique point, And they're intended to have you stop and think and reason through what is being said. So in this case, when he uses uh, the phrase son of man referring to himself, he wants people to stop and think, what does that mean? And in the book of Daniel, it meant somebody who was greater than the angels and not a human being, but God himself. So, and it's better than saying, yeah, I'm God, you know. It's easy for him to say, but he didn't want people to see it that way. He wanted them to come to the realization of who he was, not only in their mind, but more so in their heart. And that's true even today. Many people are aware of who Jesus was, uh, particularly Jewish people, educated Jewish people, educated uh, Islamic people know who Jesus was, but it has never reached their heart. It's in their mind, but not in their heart. And that, of course, is the gift of faith. If we do not have the gift of faith, all the knowledge in the world is not going to do us any good. And if we have all the knowledge in the world and we don't pray to use it and have God work with us and work with that knowledge in our heart, then that's not going to do us any good either. So prayer is extremely important. Another thing that's important, and we've got a few minutes I want to bring up, is that Lent begins two weeks from today. We will have class. You all come in with dirty foreheads. All right? Um, and that's okay. I'll have one too. But Lent is a time that brings out mixed emotions in many people, particularly young people. And the reason for it is they, first of all, don't understand the whole concept of what Lent is. And then secondly, even some of us uh, uh, older people, more mature people, I'd like to say, uh, don't like it because we look at it so negatively. Uh, when we were growing up, uh, particularly as children in college, in uh, elementary schools, uh, the dear nuns used to say, well, now it's going to be Lent and you've got to give up candy and uh, gum and so forth. We didn't have television in those days or iPods or any of those other things, you know. But you had to give up this and had to give up that. It was a negative uh, attitude. And what we are recommending now, and the church recommends, is that 
first of all, you have a positive attitude. You develop a plan as to what you are going to do to express your feelings about Christ and his passion, death, and resurrection that was essential for our salvation. All right? If Christ had not been uh, crucified, died, and rose, we would never be able to get to heaven. Never. All right? And so we should have a great appreciation for what he did, and the 40 days of Lent is a time to express our gratitude through some positive way. So rather than giving up something, I highly recommend that you do something positive, not only for yourself, but something that will help someone else or other groups or people. All right. Uh, maybe it's only just your family, but the idea of presenting Lent to your family or neighbors, your friends, whatever, uh, in a positive way is most important so that they join together to honor Christ and develop a greater spirituality within themselves so that on Easter Sunday you can really have a true spirit of joy in understanding and accepting the resurrection of Christ which was God's way of showing his approval and acceptance of the passion and death of Christ for our sins. Well, it's fine. Thank you. Yeah. The whole idea is, first of all, have a plan. Try to develop in your mind, and perhaps you have to take your family into consideration with this, don't exclude people. Include. Make it inclusive rather than exclusive to yourself only. But have a plan as to what you are going to do that is special, that will help you and whoever you bring together. Remember what Lent is all about. The idea of keeping in mind what God through Christ has done for us. Lent is to help us remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Uh, without that, we could never get to heaven. Have a plan. Have the right attitude and do something positive. That's most important. Anybody have a problem with that? And it doesn't necessarily oh, and as this young lady just brought up. If you get hung up on a particular problem, for example, you are invited to uh, an important dinner at friend's house. And these are people that you want to socialize with and be like and so forth and so on. Uh, and maybe this, the hostess, uh, forgot that it was Friday in Lent. Oh, big deal. And, you know, she has roast beef. 
go ahead and eat it. Nobody is going to put you on the chopping block, you know. Uh, if she is a very close friend, you might warn her ahead of time if you know that there's a possibility. But, you know, supposing it's your boss's uh, or your husband's or spouse's boss's wife and, and uh, so forth, uh, you may not want to do that uh, for a good reason. God is not going to, you know, put you down just for some simple thing like that. People take sin uh, too literally. Uh, and so go ahead and do what you feel in your mind and heart is the right thing to do. Uh, don't get hung up on laws. All right. We have to abstain from both meat and we have to fast on uh, Wednesday, two weeks from today, and on Good Friday. All right. The rest of the time, it is uh, less of a requirement, but a suggested way. And I've had many people say to me, well, what's so bad with eating meat on Friday? What's wrong with the meat? It's not the meat at all. It has nothing to do with eating meat on Friday. All right? It is a remembrance of what Friday was all about. All right? And it's the idea of doing something special on Friday to keep that remembrance going. So don't worry about, you know, the little things. Don't sweat the small stuff, as they say. Uh, it's important that you do something positive and have the right attitude. For it. Okay. All right. Well, if you wish to see these petitions, they're up here. If uh, if you wish to go online, you can do it online. All right. Let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that you have given us, not only through our government, but uh, through our faith, through our church, to believe in you as you are, as you would want us to believe. Help us then to understand where we might be falling short and to correct our ways. We don't want to end up like the Babylonians or the people of the second century. Help us then to truly understand and appreciate the freedoms that you give us through our faith. We thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name.